Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by the patrons of Missed Apex. Go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex to support us and get all our bonus content and vlogs. You're helping us thrive and survive. This episode is called No Man is So Short That His Legs Do Not Touch the Ground. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt David Hobbs Botherer Trumpets. How's it going, Matt? Fine, but wouldn't that really depend on the size of the chair upon which the person with the short legs was theoretically sat? Don't point out the flaw in my proverb or the fact that I said legs instead of feet because it, it double doesn't make sense. But you had a really, really exciting evening a couple of nights ago bothering most of the crew of Speed Broadcasting. Uh, Speed and NBC SN as well. Yes, it was another exciting adventure for me with the uh, Formula One meetup crew here in New York City as David Hobbs, who I think even uh, even Jake Sanson might have heard of David Hobbs, uh, did a book signing. And, uh, well, you know, I, I am a generally a very shy and retiring type of person. Course, but I did yeah, course, yeah. find it with myself to not only annoy him endlessly about what possibly coming on the show for an interview, but uh, discovered that Lee Diffie was coming down as well. And then managed to ingratiate myself with him for the whole of his dinner, which I'm sure he appreciated mightily. And as a bonus guest, and nobody here will have heard of her necessarily, I also had a rather wonderful chat with Judy Sopris, and I'll tell you who she is later on. So, Star Star, I'm actually quite jealous of that, Matt, because, I mean, I've been stood, like, right next to Nico Prost, for example, when we were covering stuff for E-Radio Show, and I just, I have this mental block sometimes with people, instead of just going, hey, I I do a Formula E podcast, let's have a chat, or thinking you know maybe he's there to talk about the sport and talk about himself i was just there going nah he doesn't want to be bothered i'll I'll just leave it for now well i have a bit of advice for you next time that happens about two gin and tonics really makes it easier 
I, I tried to do it sober. That's a, you know, Chris Stevens would never, never stand for that, would he? He, he is always in the paddock, three sheets to the wind. Speaking of Chris Stevens, here he is. Chris, Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. How's it going, mate? Yeah, good. How are you? You're not shy, are you, talking to drivers and team bosses when you're in the paddocks? No, no, not at all. Uh, they're very approachable, most of them. Oh, good. And how are you? Yeah, I've all oh, good. I mean, it's, it's been quite a quiet week for me, really. Um, I've just been at work. Um, it's a little bit of break between uh, between jobs for me, really. So I've been seeing the family, going around a little bit. It's been a nice, nice time. And wearing a ridiculous hat and failing on any level to look like a human being, we have Downforce Boss and commentator Jake Sanson. How's it going, Jake? It's very good. The hat is paramount. It's part of the new style. You just have to get used to it now. Is it just because you haven't had a haircut for about eight weeks? No, it's not true. I actually had a haircut on uh, Thursday. There you go. Because I I looked a bit like a roadie for Nickelback before I had the haircut. And uh, I thought it's time to get it all off for the summer. And I just like hats. Uh, And I had a fisherman's hat, which everybody said was awful. So I thought, well, I'll just upgrade. That's a great quote from Jake Sanson. I like hats. We are an independent podcast supported by you, the listener. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. Let's talk about a bit of... Big Dirty News. I think the news this week has not only been the Monaco Grand Prix that we've already done a race review for. However, the fallout from the Monaco Grand Prix has also been kind of equally newsworthy in its own right. Martin Brundle put a tweet out that said, Ah, you might not think that the Monaco Grand Prix was brilliant, but we're all still talking about it a week later. So that has to be something, right? And I I felt like he was making the point that the, you know, the no publicity is bad publicity argument um however i can't i can't bring myself to agree with that because i think the only people who would have seen monaco are the people who were watching f1 anyway and they would have been turned off i worry that the monaco grand prix is something that first time people come and watch like they go oh the monaco grand prix i've heard of that and then that's the spectacle they saw so from the mainstream media from the accredited journalists we've been hearing a lot of defending of the Monaco Grand Prix. A lot of people saying that, you know, if you understood what was happening, you would have enjoyed it. Every single F1 podcast and blog I've read outside of that circle has been ranting and raving about what a dire race it was. Uh, Matt, we never got to speak to you last week because you mercifully were doing something else. You lucky, lucky boy. Uh, Did you enjoy the Monaco Grand Prix? Well, uh, I will happily answer that question. But first, I'm going to put forth an observation that it strikes me that whether one enjoyed the race or not seems to depend almost entirely on where one was located geographically, i.e., were you in Monaco? It seems like you had a pretty good time. And were you anywhere else? It seems like it was a bit meh at best. And for me, it's interesting. If you ask me to rate that as a race uh, as as a viewing spectacle, I'd have to say it, it was it was really pretty terrible. Aside from uh, Leclerc crashing uh, crashing in the back of Hartley, which was a big excitement, um, but there was no real drama in it because the ability to pass on track basically didn't exist. We didn't know this at first, and there was a moment where with when Ricciardo radioed in the problems with the car, you thought, okay, this could get very interesting very rapidly. 
But after about two to three laps, you realize that the tires weren't going to be able to sustain the attack of Vettel on Ricciardo. And he was basically going to defend to the end absent a safety car or a virtual safety car that might shake things up. But that said, I did enjoy it, mostly because I wasn't writing my usual race report. And you could just <laughs> I had already it. consumed a large quantity of alcoholic beverages <laughs> breakfast in New Orleans. And so life was pretty good for me. I got to watch it just like your average fan for a change, uh, aside from making notes for the uh, race in 60 seconds, of course. Uh, and fabulous. Uh, so that was. But, you know, we're talking about whether it was enjoyable or not, could you get enjoyment out of it? Jake, I would go as far as to say that the combination of the tyres and the fact that Pirelli tried to do something interesting and that still didn't work, I think that that counts as a farce. I don't I don't think you can even rate it as a race. I just think this was a monumental screw-up uh, by all parties. And, I'm, and, I'm, and obviously, you know, we didn't predict that beforehand. So... 2020 hindsight and all but this to me counts as you know kind of corporately a a huge huge error yeah absolutely to be honest when you're looking at monaco as the grand jewel in the crown of a sport that everybody is supposed to find exciting and interesting it really wasn't a great showcase it's interesting don burn has written that uh the thing about monaco this year was that it was a tense thriller not an all-out action film tension is not a bad thing yeah, it just kind of rang like a film with Jude Law. It wasn't particularly exceptional. I didn't really like it much. Did anybody actually spot my Twitter war uh, about the Monaco Grand Prix with Andrew Neal, the presenter for the Daily Politics? No, go couldn't on. help. He was yeah. He he's one of these celebrities uh, who gets an invitation to things like the Monaco Grand Prix because he's a celebrity and um, basically decided to go on Twitter and said, I've just left the Monaco Grand Prix. Apparently some bloke gets on pole position. They run around without changing position and it's a thing. Uh, Don't tell me cricket is ever boring. So I wrote back, well, wonderful to see you're so closed minded. Something I shall bear in mind when considering your show in future. Uh, And (laughs) I got an awful lot of uh, good, good vibes from people from that. Because this is the thing, you know, as you said, you have to take Monaco on face value. It's one of those crazy races where either everything happens or nothing happens. The new regulations for this year, making the cars wider and putting more rubber on the road obviously doesn't help because you don't want really wide cars at Monaco to spice up overtaking opportunities. It doesn't happen. The result, I loved. The race, not so much. So Don Burns' comment that you referenced there in the chat room that you can join by searching Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube, clicking subscribe and the little bell, and you'll get a notification every time we go live, generally UK time, 8 p.m., uh, that, 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 the thing that he's saying, the thing about Monaco was it was a tense thriller, not an all-out action film. I don't think there was any tension there. There was only tension there, Chris, if you didn't realise that the tyres were completely shot and that there was so little chance of overtaking that they were just going slower and slower and slower because you couldn't pass. In fact, the only time you were really made aware of it, unless you were watching the live timing, was when Ocon suddenly made up 45 seconds. I, I disagree because, you know, if you know what happens when you have uh, like an MGUK failure, then you start to appreciate all the other things that start going wrong in the car um, because of it. And I will counter Jake's point because I like a lot of Jude Law movies, particularly that. <laughs> movie. So uh, and, and the thing, let me let me ask you, you know, we look back at the 92 Monaco Grand Prix as one of the best battles in formula one history with mansell trying to get past senna on fresher tires and nothing came of that and 
I wouldn't put I that as an example of a great battle. I'd put that as ex- an example of a track not suitable for Formula One ruining what yeah. could have been a good battle. Uh, look, I don't think... You're not going to appreciate it now, but in sort of 10 years, you're going to look back on that race with rose-tinted glasses. They actually, that was a pretty mega drive from from Ricardo, and you'll remember it a lot more fondly than you do now. Rubbish. I'm not going to say that Daniel Ricardo didn't drive well and didn't drive around a problem well, but I think, you know, Marco uh, put it pretty well when he just says, uh, yeah, where there was a problem, we found a setting that helped, and also some driving techniques helped, and that was that. It 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 wasn't. He didn't do anything yeah. impossible. The the fact the fact that he can have that problem and still hold people off proves the point me and Jake are making. It doesn't disprove it uh, anywhere else on the Formula One calendar. And he's toast. Trumpets. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. Uh, I think the thing with Monaco is that it would be a brilliant half hour highlights package for free to air TV. I think you could cut that together and make it must see TV. Even a race like this, because there was enough that did happen. But for the full 90 minutes, it, uh, again, it's the realization that the whole race was incredibly slow because of Ricciardo's problem. And then we didn't get to see the usual degradation of the tires, people not being able to keep them in the window because the basic pace at the front was so slow. And the whole weekend was compounded because a lot of the runners that you would have expected to be more competitive basically weren't and when i say more competitive obviously we're really talking about ferrari here who have not quite sorted out their new aerodynamic package see that's the the thing though is that you know it's uh when it's a a tense race i really enjoy those you know when you i do think it is just something you'll look back on and and really appreciate i mean what would what would have been the alternative if if Monaco was you know an easy track to to pass on, Vettel would have gone past him, and you would have had the same procession. Instead, what we got was a a sterling defensive drive uh, in in what was a, a, a massively broken car. See, Monaco never it's never Chris, done all that racing, but it always provides a story. All right, Chris, I'm going to stop you there because there was no defensive drive. Literally, any car in any state would have been able to hold off Sebastian Vettel, who wasn't attacking. There was no racing in the top five. Jake, I do kind of agree with you to a certain extent because you you mentioned the Mansell Senna ninety two Monaco, and I've always felt that was ridiculously overrated. I mean, there was nothing different about that battle compared to, say, Trulli Button in two thousand four. Jensen Button should have won that race, but it's Monaco, so he couldn't overtake Jarno Trulli. And that's why that was only the, the only Grand Prix victory Jarno Trulli ever had. And it's very similar, actually, to Ricardo Vettel in 2018. Okay, Ricardo had a problem. So did Senna. His tyres were shot. Uh, so did Jarno Trulli. He's rubbish. So basically, you know, there was no difference. Monaco, basically, it has to be raining or something really stupid has to happen in qualifying to bring the kind of Monaco Grand Prix you want. Everyone looks back to 96 as the ultimate Monaco Grand Prix. Oh my goodness, Panis won. Uh, or 1982, Monaco Grand Prix. Oh my goodness, Patrese won despite spinning off. Was the Panis one where only four people finished? That's right, yeah. Mm. Uh, literally only four people finished. Yeah, okay. Well, that doesn't happen now because if you look at like no. going up to Casino Square, you used to watch cars struggling like heck before even before that 90 degree turn now there there is no struggle so they had them on super super grippy tires that it didn't matter if they wore away because you could defend and they weren't in danger of making any mistakes i think chris you even pointed out yourself 
that Verstappen's error was one of the very few errors in the whole weekend. And that's not because the drivers have suddenly got amazing around Monaco. That's because they've got a car and a package that is on rails around a very narrow track. It's it's time to make drastic changes for Monaco or just bin this as a competitive point scoring event. Well, the thing, I mean, we know that F1's going in a different direction, actually taking downforce away from them next year. But the, I do want to bring up the, the tyres again, actually, because as much as they were giving them grip and confidence in uh, qualifying and practice, in the race, because they were falling away so much, they were running such a slow pace um, that actually they weren't really in danger of pushing too much and whacking a barrier. And what that means is that, you know, you have no, so you have no crashes, you have no safety car. And as we've seen, you know, a couple of times this season, the safety car really can turn around a race and make it very, very exciting. So I think there was an element of that in the spectacle thriller aspect um, of it as well. But it certainly didn't take away from any enjoyment of my race. So uh, that, you bring up an interesting point because I read someone had gone back and done comparison between fast laps and race versus uh, qualifying Q3 lap that qualifies for pole position. And the gap now between the fast lap and the race and the uh, and and qualifying in terms of percentages is much, much wider. And that's really all down to the new fuel limits and fuel flow regulations, which we might be getting rid of as we enter the brave new era of uh, Liberty's version of Formula One. But you're correct in that the slower speeds put the drivers well within a margin where they're not likely to make a mistake, and even the mistakes they make will be much more recoverable. They're not as close to the edge of their abilities as they were in previous eras of regulation. Yeah, absolutely agree. So just like Monaco, I don't think we're going to be able to compete with each other on this argument or overtake each other. So I think that that is going to sit where it is. However, Daniel Ricciardo has now put himself solidly in third place. Does anybody think he's a title contender? Yes, absolutely yes. I don't know. I I have not seen enough evidence of a consistent challenge from Red Bull to consider them a title challenger just yet. I know I said on the race review, I was quite adamant about them not being um, contenders. Um, But having sort of gone back and thought about it, I think if I see a bit more evidence of them being able to uh, perform on certainly more power circuits like Canada, which we are going to next, um, and that their reliability is up to scratch as well, then I will consider them uh, contenders. But at the moment, it, it, for me, it still seems like a two-horse race. Are, are you saying that if Ricardo wins in Canada, it's a done deal, he's in the hunt? Yes. Yeah. And I, I agree that I think that would be the case. However, I think it's a bit unlikely. I think Matt can shed some light on the Renault update. I was not inspired, Matt, by what Renault said, which was, yes, we've got a B-spec engine. And when you hear B-spec, you think revolutionary, you know, basically as if they're starting the season again. But then the quote that came with it was, it it should bring a bit of a performance uh, increase. That hasn't filled me with any confidence at all, Matt. No, no. And and, and they actually, I believe, also said that it, it it's not the kind of update that's really even going to help Red Bull in the slightest. So that was kind of an interesting comment. I, I believe this is a, mainly a reliability update. Yeah, Chris. They may not even be getting it. Uh, if uh, From what I've um, seen, um, it might be they only have, uh, you know, a certain number 
of uh, of these updated engines that Red Bull may not even get. They might save them for the works team and for uh, McLaren. Um, actually, I, I doubt they'll give them to McLaren. But if they, you know, if they only have two, they'll probably keep them for their own team rather than giving one of them to um, Red Bull. I'm not sure if contractually that's a grey area um, or anything, but um, it's um, yeah. Well, you remember Matthew Carter talking about their relationship with Mercedes and saying that, yes, they were able to get the same engine and the same upgrades. However, not necessarily first and not necessarily at the same time. So it could well, be a case be of that. It, it's an unhappy marriage at the moment between Red Bull and uh, and Renault and also between McLaren and Renault. And you do get the feeling that Renault don't actually have an incentive to help either of their customer teams at the moment. Well, no, it, it's unlikely that they're going to help Red Bull anyway, because Red Bull have spent the last six weeks mouthing off about how awful Renault are. So why on earth would that incentivize Renault to give them any benefit at all? I mean, they don't even call their engines Renault for a start. McLaren does. So uh, it makes sense if you're going to give it to a customer. Why don't you give it to a customer who's actually endorsing your brand? Red Bull names their engines Tag Heuer, who, uh, as far as I can remember, tell time rather than make a car go forwards. So I would personally, if it was me and I was Renault, I would not see any incentivization, especially considering they're talking to Honda for next year anyway. I wouldn't give Red Bull the update. Why should I? Quick comment from the chat room who's calling me up and saying that Ricciardo is solidly third because he's only four points ahead of Bottas. All right, let's be pretty clear here. Valtteri Bottas is not going to win a world championship with Lewis Hamilton at his teammate at Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton is the number one driver at Mercedes and will be treated as such. Valtteri Bottas is there to support him and do as well as he can and keep picking up contracts. And and that is the position he is currently in in his career. Uh, Matt and Chris, you're both trying to get in. Chris, quickly. I, I think the points thing, you know, is a, it, there's an asterisk next to it because Bottas should have won at least one race by now. And it's by cruel luck that he hasn't. Yeah, but it does. what I'm saying is that Bottas isn't in the title hunt. So therefore, in terms of the title, Ricardo is the third most likely to win right now. But he could have had more wins than Lewis at this point, given how much they were sort of toing and froing at the beginning of the um, season. You know, I don't think we've seen a, a clean race from them yet, really. Go on, Trumpets. Uh, you were going to make a much better point than that. Well, actually, I was going to make a a, a, uh, a funny quip about the Renault engines regarding Jake's point, but I will not do that now. Instead, what I'll point out is that I think Chris's argument fundamentally is that Mercedes still has to be considered to have a better points haul percentage chance over the remaining races than Red Bull due to the nature of their design. Red Bull will have specific opportunities at specific tracks where they will be more competitive than Mercedes. But those are not very many tracks in relationship to the total number of races left. Uh, what do we have to expect then uh, in Canada? Because we're talking about Daniel Ricciardo winning in Canada. Okay, first of all, he's got Max Verstappen to deal with, who I don't believe has number two status and isn't going to help him. However, they are at a slight advantage at this track compared to others. Yes, it's a power track, but you also need a lot of traction and they have the downforce to give you that traction. Jake, I think you might be on mute, buddy. Now that's a cogent point. <laughs> oh, yes. Very good point. I have to say my own personal opinion about the Canadian Grand Prix is going to be that it will be won by a Finn. Now, whether that's going to be Bottas or Raikkonen is still a little bit up in the air at the moment. 
But I have this idea that Vettel and Hamilton will have the initial pace and something spicy will happen between them. I just have it. It's that point in the year where they haven't really done anything majorly naughty yet in their rivalry. I think it's coming. It's brewing again. It kind of happens at some point between the two most likely title contenders about this point in the season. I have a feeling something might kick off in the Canadian Grand Prix, not based on anything that's happened so far this year, just basic timing in a championship battle. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen here. And I think the only people that are really going to be able to respond to it are Valtteri Bottas or Kimi Raikkonen. And I have a feeling it might go the way of Raikkonen. I think he could win his first win of the season. Okay, firstly, you're nuts. Raikkonen's not winning anything. He will get a mysterious strategy call or some kind of mechanical failure uh Raikkonen's not yeah. winning Raikkonen's not winning I, this year get over it Kimi fans uh in the chat I room, know though, I know and it, it it does seem a bit ridiculous just how much bad luck he appears to be having I mean he's making Rubens Barrichello look like an absolute perfectionist it's, it's not bad luck at all uh Ferrari will happily use him in strategy situations to as a guinea pig so quite often they will leave him out just in case there can be one lap or two laps where he can hold up Lewis Hamilton or Daniel Ricciardo so there is there is not a mindset at Ferrari to give Kimi Raikkonen a win it's only point so Kimi fans I'm sorry Kimi Raikkonen it doesn't matter how well he's driving he's not picking up and he wins this season um how uh what was the other one uh Bottas was what was that the other point we were making with the Finn? Uh, right, hang on. In the chat room, they're saying they are backing Lewis Hamilton to win this, given his record. Chris, just how many Canadian Grand Prix has Lewis Hamilton won? Oh God, four, I think. I think it's five, uh, six, and he's been on pole six times. Vettel Good has Lord. won. Ricciardo has won once. Yeah, there you go. I didn't realize we were skipping to the Canadian Grand Prix preview, but there you go. It it's short odds on Lewis isn't it to to win you'd have to say unless something goes spectacularly wrong for him uh 2008 well yeah exactly (laughs) you know it's that that's where the the easy money will be i am interested to see how the hypersoft performs because apparently it'll be a bit more in the window i know i'm getting more into the preview than you probably want me to at this point to be honest we've we've really kind of gone into the preview enough now to ask trumpets to explain to us what is going on with the tires uh for the canadian grand prix Uh, and then we'll cover a bit of news later on in our chat good lord all right well and you know uh here and i had the question um somebody had mentioned that there's no way for stopping was the uh, number two driver at red bull and i i have to say yeah based on his current record he's probably the number three driver at red bull because i believe if you traded his record for kvyat's when kvyat was in the car you'd actually probably have to pick danny based just on statistics this year he's having a horrible season um, but as far as tires go, we, we have a divergence between Ferrari and Mercedes with five for the Mercedes of the Hypersoft versus eight uh, for Ferrari and Red Bull as well have gone for eight. So what we basically see is that uh, Mercedes has taken extra ultra softs and all the other teams that they're competing with have taken extra Hypersofts, which, to be honest, isn't a huge surprise. Because Mercedes generally favors the harder compound tire. And a reminder that relative to the tires we saw last year, these are both uh, a step or two steps softer. So it'll be interesting. Canada is not a super high degradation track um, and not a super high grip or stress or downforce track. It's actually really bad on the brakes. If you recall, that's the the part of the car that's going to take the most pounding. 
Um, and will be interesting to see uh, how they make use of their tires through practice. But usually the way it works out is they show up with more or less the same sets of tires at the race. I'll be surprised if it's any different this time around. Oh, God, I passed out. Chris, do you have any comment on that? Uh, tires, uh, there, they are, there are some. Sorry, sorry, the chat room is equally as split as we are about tire talk. Um, no, I like the fact that you brought up um, the fact that it isn't really considered a high degradation circuit. But then when you look back at the history of it, it always tends to be whoever makes the extra stop ends up doing um, a bit better. I mean, when Lewis took the win in 2012 was a prime example. And this was the race back in 2010 that inspired the sort of high degradation multi-stop producing tires um, for Pirelli um, and what, when they were, you know, when they were asked to do it. So I think we could see um, quite a divergent strategy brewing up here. And especially with the Hypersoft um, again, which supposedly will work quite a bit better than it did um, in Monaco. And there were some teams that were really struggling to just even get it in the window because it was frankly a little bit too soft um, for them. So, you know, very, very different circuit might work completely differently. So what do we think is going to happen, Matt? Like, let me break it down, because I'll admit I did kind of phase out while you were talking. Are, are we having people qualifying on the Hypersoft? A couple of teams maybe trying to get into Q, doing Q2 with a slightly harder tyre? Uh, or are we just going to see Hypersoft for five or six laps, like we used to a few years back, uh, with the softest compound, and then, you know, another two stints worth of a harder tyre? Right. So I don't have... Uh, unfortunately, one of the things I did not look up is the number of stops last year, but usually it's either a one or a two stop race, if I'm remembering correctly. So you might look to see Mercedes qualify on for the race on the Hypersoft for pole position, but try and run the Ultrasoft to get into Q3. And then you might see um, them running an, an Ultra Super one stop versus uh, a hyper ultra ultra two stop for Ferrari or Red Bull or most likely depending upon how the places pan out you'll see a combination of those strategies uh, and whoever has the least to lose will probably run the most split and interesting strategy the undercut is usually a good toss here and that could make things more interesting for the people trying to run longer Oh, goodness gracious. I, I look forward to a time where the strategy isn't so dependent on tyres. Um, and as much as I don't like it, it is integral to how the race is going to go. So, for example, you're saying undercut is going to be handy, but that's not what we've seen all season. What we've seen so far this season is the guys going for the undercut come out on tyres, can't warm them up, and actually the guys who stay out have got a chance to do a real fast in-lap and get out first and, and, and avoid the undercut? Well, it's circuit dependent and it's also uh, tire dependent. So if you misjudge how much of the tires your opponent has used up, then yeah, the undercut can be a poor choice. But in general, if the tires are being run to their point where they're degrading and people are losing lap times, a fresh ultra soft will be faster, significantly so than a um, used hypersoft. So that's why the undercut works, assuming you get within a second and a half or so of the person you're chasing. Good. Let's do some predictions then. Jake Sanson, 
lay me out your top three, your podium for the Canadian Grand Prix. Okay, podium is going to be Bottas for the win, Raikkonen for second, and let's go crazy, it's Canada, stuff happens, Ocon for third. Idiot. Chris, what's your podium? Uh, It's easy, I think it'll be Mercedes 1-2, Lewis and Valtteri, and then Seb will probably get um, third. Really boring, I know, but I'm a realist, unfortunately. I'd love to see uh, Ocon and Perez uh ding dong again for a top five or something well i'd like to see you button your shirt up to an appropriate level but we don't always get what we want oh no i made it worse i made it significantly worse trumpets who's your podium uh this is gonna be hamilton vettel and ricciardo because verstappen will take botas out into turn two okay and i think i will boringly then go for hamilton vettel because i i still feel like botas uh, did I say? Did you say uh, Hamilton, Vettel, Hamilton, Bottas? Yardo. Oh no, no. Well, I'm I'm going to put Bottas third because I I don't think Red Bull are going to be as good as people are optimistically saying. I think this is going to be all about Mercedes and Ferrari. Um, and 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 I know people are really positive about the start Bottas had, but you get Lewis Hamilton on a good day, uh, at a track he has won at many many times. Valtteri Bottas can't touch him. At the moment, over the course of the season, we're going to start to see a reversion to the mean. Chris? It's going to depend very much on how Mercedes handles the tyres, which we know they haven't done fantastically all season. But we know that when they do get it in the window, they are fantastically fast. So, uh, And uh, people have been asking about this in the chat room as well. uh, Whether Ferrari will be able to hang on to the tyres or whether they're going to suffer like they did in Spain. Um, but of course, it's a very different circuit. This is all very rear limited, whereas in Spain, it's very front limited. Um, so I think they'll be OK on that front. But uh, again, you know, we'll have to wait and see. You know, we're not going to know until until Sunday. Yeah, but we're wildly speculating. Goodness, is this your first missed apex? We're going to get into a little bit of news as well. Uh, but firstly, let's catch up with our panel. Jake Sanson, semi-regular contributor here on Missed Apex Podcast. The last time I saw you was in real life, in the flesh. We touched in real life. And I have to say, as part of a joint commentary team, there was a lot more gyrating than I felt was entirely necessary in a commentary booth. I apologize. I'll make sure you're the big spoon next time. That's fine. Everyone likes being the little spoon. It makes you feel safe. Uh, but I tell you what, I mean, you, you, the people who think that you're an idiot on this podcast, which is yes, numerous, I, I get many, 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 many emails about that, need to see you in your natural environment uh, commentating because in the commentary environment, you are absolutely supreme. And I will say to you, Jake, as an entertainer, a compare and a host of a motorsport event such as the Daytona 24-hour race that we were at you are spectacular sir that's very kind of you when it comes to podcasting i like to be a bit more entertaining and a bit more out there and a bit more you know a bit more insane talk but over yeah, me. In, in, yeah, com- it, yeah. in commentary mode i kind of have this sort of modus operandi just kind of get into it and it's like a click of the switch the second we say go live okay and that part that professional jake sanson sort of takes over and i go into jake sanson official mode as it were 
And uh, I've been doing that for the last few weeks, actually. Last week, I spent some time in uh, Marienborg in Belgium for the European Karting Championships, talent spotting the next Formula One champions. And uh, I have already a couple of names that I have jotted down for future reference. When we do this podcast in 2025, I'll be looking very, very smug as we talk about the uh, next Max Verstappens and Esteban Ocons as drivers who will be world champion one day. So I'm banking those for the future it'll be good it, it does depend whether sky sports will let me do this on top of anchoring all their motorsport but we'll see i'll, I'll see true. if i can work yeah, that true. into the negotiations uh also you've been excitingly doing some work for force india are you allowed to to riff about that yes i am it's it's been really really good fun actually working for the force india team uh they're a great bunch of guys i've been working with their communications uh wing and basically doing some voiceover work on the Force India YouTube channel, which has been really good. Just doing some track guides, just basically giving a bit more of a funky way of building up to the race meetings. And uh, that's been utilizing the Codemasters uh, F1 game, which led to a really nice phone call. Uh, I say phone call. It was a Twitter conversation. Uh, with Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Myself and uh, the guys at Codemasters themselves who basically said, well, we've got some F1 esports content coming up. Would you like to voice that as well? Because you did so well with Force India. So, yeah, I've been doing some bits and pieces with uh, Codemasters and the F1 esports preview video for those who are very much into the F1 YouTube channel might have seen that and gone, wait a minute. How the hell did the fat bloke from Mr. Apex get onto the F1 YouTube channel? I don't know either. OK, I don't know either. But uh, that's what's happening. So there's a few things that are knocking on the door of the pipeline for 2019 2020 as a result of doing that but uh i'm very grateful to force india for the opportunity it is the modern social media equivalent of being a t-boy in a formula one team but i genuinely wouldn't have thought that was possible uh six seven years ago when i was jumping up and down on my sofa watching formula one to actually be working for a formula one team it's a great privilege if you're going to follow jake follow him on twitter if you do instagram or facebook there's a lot of pictures of him and they can be quite disturbing but on twitter you are uh, at jake sanson uh, yes, on Twitter, I am at Jake Sanson. On Instagram, I am uh, at Jake Sanson Official. Good. 
Thank you very much, Jake Sanson. And speaking of Instagram, Mist Apex also has an Instagram account because some of the younger, more dynamic members of our crew have set that up. At the moment, I think it's mainly cat pictures, but do follow that. And uh, I've been kind of getting into it. So I have also converted my personal Instagram account into a, a spanners ready uh, Instagram account. So I don't quite know what I'm doing there yet, but I, I, I'm kind of coming around to the potential of it. So follow me, uh, Spanners Ready on Instagram. I, I don't really know how else to say that. Uh, Matt? Yeah, uh, the chat room has a question about the coverage of the race next week. Yes. And it seemed like a good time to address that. Yes. So we will be covering the Canadian Grand Prix on the Monday because it's very late on uh, on Sunday, the race. Uh, also, I will be driving back from a commentary gig myself. So I'll be watching the start of the race, you know, on my phone in a lay-by somewhere. Um, so it's not ideal to then come in and try and do a podcast, which we won't finish until one o'clock in the morning. Um, and then I've got work the next day. So what we're going to go for is 9pm for the live stream on Monday night. So apologies for that. I think for some of the other later races in your part of the world, Matt, we will try and do the recordings straight away after the race. Uh, Matt, uh, where can people find you and catch up with your stuff? You can, of course, find me at MattPT55 on the Twitters. And you can always look for my stuff at summers.co.uk. Summersf1.co.uk. Uh, yes. Remember? Yes, yes, that's where my race reports and my qualifying reports do eventually show up when I bother to write them. And we'll catch up with Chris towards the end of the show, but for now, we still have some more. Big Dirty News. Remember the news we were talking about and then we accidentally got into the Canadian preview? Uh, We do have a few news items. First of all, let's talk about Williams, Chris. What's going on at Williams? They've shed some weight. Yeah, the um, chief aero uh, man, uh, De Beer, has uh, stepped down. And uh, I think it's um, a a bit of a sign of what's going on at Williams lately, really. We know they've had a pretty shambolic start to the season, had a lot of correlation issues, which have compounded those problems as well. And um, I, I couldn't tell you what De Beer's motivation for leaving uh, was, but um, it's, uh, it's a sign of what's going on down there at the moment. Right. And what's going on there is basically a bit of house cleaning. The aero philosophy that predominated at Williams was to make the car as slick in aerodynamic terms as possible, take advantage of the raw power of the Mercedes to get uh, race results. And that philosophy has changed. Uh, but unfortunately, the car itself didn't really work out the way they had planned. And so I think we're seeing the inevitable result of failure rolling downhill till it finds someone who can be blamed for it. <laughs> and 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 whether he stepped down because he's tired of dealing with it or whether he stepped down because they want to bring somebody else in or whether he stepped down because someone had to take the blame for it. I'm not really sure, politically speaking, how that all came about. But I am curious to see how the new folks get on with uh, solving the enigma of the riddle of the puzzle of the arrow of the Williams. So drivers aside for the second, uh, is it as simple as they came into the hybrid era with a big advantage uh, with the power uh, and then when they've had to switch to actually having a good aero package they just haven't had the inventory of manpower to do this well when the 
the the rules first came out, you know, Williams got the jump on on everyone, and and what was probably you know not a, a fantastic car, but it was better than what everyone else, well, mo- a lot of other people were producing at the time. And then as the others have been catching up and and doing things properly, they've just found themselves slipping further and further back. Look, let's be honest. One of the team's biggest issues is they have two racing drivers who are not good with a car development. They're just not. Lance Stroll clearly doesn't want to be there. Uh, He looks more and more awkward every time I see him on camera. It looks like he'd rather be a bank manager at the moment. Uh, Sergei Sorokin genuinely doesn't know what he's had for breakfast by the time he gets into a racing car. He's that clueless. It's insane. We've got four drivers sitting on the sidelines who could do a better job with their eyes shut. Robert Kubica, Pascal Wehrlein. uh, I'm also going to make a shout out for Oliver Rowland and even Paul DeResta. I genuinely think if you put any combination of those two drivers into the car, they would be gaining at least half a second a lap in development by this point. Lance Stroll cannot develop a racing car. Mm -hmm. Sergei Sorokin is a rookie and doesn't really know what he's doing anyway it's the the confounding element of a racing team is that you need two drivers who can drive a project forward if you've got a car deficiency they are two drivers who need to be able to push it forward neither of them have the ability to do that they both need to be replaced so there's two issues you've addressed there one is the development and they do have a development driver but he's not in the car week after week after week in the form of Robert Kubica. So, yes, you have to imagine that a more experienced driver would just naturally be able to help with the development. So you're saying they might have perhaps lost half a second of development. I still maintain that Lance Stroll is optimistically a second off the pace of the top drivers. Pessimistically, we could be talking about two seconds a lap. And, yeah, I know the field spread is quite big, but that is what? a minute and a half over the course of a Grand Prix trumpets? Yeah, well, it's very interesting that everyone's uh, beating up on Stroll because that's old hat. And I think we can safely conclude that he's always taken a lot of his development cues from his co-driver. But Mark Hughes had a very interesting column. Um, I want to say it was Mark Hughes, but maybe it was James Allen, but I believe it was Mark Hughes on Sorotkin and his performance at the Monaco Grand Prix is being sort of a step forward and a step up and a clear demonstration that relative to Stroll, he actually might know what he's talking about. And I, I tend to agree. Sorotkin has an engineering background. Uh, the, the scuttlebutt that we got when he was testing was that he had this ability. And I think the big difference between him and Kubica is that he just simply doesn't have as much experience at the formula one level and that's why we haven't really seen that differentiation happen we could compare to leclerc who suddenly figured out his driving style and all of a sudden started thrashing ericsson for a like example hannah hassel in the chat room he just win whinges and expects everything to get fixed by the team uh dejoma says sure but it does say something about his ability to learn related things. And that is in response to Mark Green now saying, can Stroll really be that poor? I worry more for Williams than I already did if he is. Yes, I do think Stroll is that poor. Do you remember, Chris, at the beginning of the season, we said, what does Sorokin have to do against Stroll? And it, the answer is he has to comprehensively pound him. Because if Massa, at the end of his flagging powers, was beating Stroll easily and outqualifying him massively... A rookie has to come in and absolutely destroy Stroll. It's not enough just to beat him. He's got to destroy him. Yeah, I mean, I would throw in the argument that the state of the car doesn't 
make the um, direct driver comparison all that easy, but yeah, Sorokin has you know been able to come in and at the very earliest match Lance, and we saw in Monaco a great performance from him there right up until um, the team kind of uh, threw it away a little bit. But we've got to remember this is a long-term project for Williams. You know, they've taken the money now. It's all going into the development pot and it's going to be, you know, driving that car forward a little bit, you know, bit by bit. The only trouble is, is that, you know, wh- where's that money going into? Is that going into developing the 2021 car or is it going to be slowly developing this car for the next couple of years, only for a big regulation change to come up and spoil all their work? Yeah, well, and it's important when we're talking about Sorokin. It's not just his performance in Formula One. We can go back to his Formula Two and his GP, his his performances in the other ranks, and and he gets great feedback from the technical people on the teams, and they all will agree that he made a big difference in the performance of their teams and cars. And you can look at him compared to other drivers and see that. So. Sorotkin, I'm willing to give a pass to. I think he's doing the job that he's been hired to do. Stroll is their number one problem right now in terms of driver development. Well, yeah, it's a difficult problem that Williams have because ultimately they went for young youth and money over substance. I mean, why is Martini pulling the plug on their main commercial package for uh, 2019? Answer, Williams did not comply with their request to have a driver on the team over the age of 25. That is absolutely and totally the main factor. They've got Lance Stroll, who's 18. They've got Sorokin, who's 20. You need a commercial package driver who is over 25. That's why they want a Kibitza in the seat. It's not rocket science. They are losing ground and they are losing their commercial image based on the fact that they can't even comply with what their chief sponsor wanted them to do. And to be honest, they have basically, as Felipe Massa said a couple of weeks ago, they have basically shot themselves in the foot by going for all of the money over none of the ability. And this is the thing, I don't know how much they care about the goodwill of the F1 fan community, but it is seeping away. And I think even people who were giving Stroll the benefit of the doubt last season the number of those people is less and less this season. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting about Williams is if, I don't know if you saw the movie that they did about Williams and, you know, their struggles in 2015, 2016 compared to where they had been a couple of years before that movie was really well painted in the beginning. Cause they took you to Monaco 2016 or 17, I think it was. And they basically said, Oh, they talked to the fans. Well, Williams, we kind of want them to move further up. We want them to do better. And they're just not really making it. I can't find a single person I speak to now. Who's like, what do you think of Williams? They just said, well, they've lost it. They've absolutely lost it. They were a good team in the top four. They had two solid drivers in master and Bottas ever since Bottas left. They have basically been shooting themselves in the foot left, right and center. When they signed up with Stroll in the first place, they should have realized how big a liability he could have been even then. But no, they just saw 80 million quid and went, oh, fantastic. That's exactly what we need right now. What you need is two drivers who can actually send you to the points. Would you take this opportunity to consider supporting Missed Apex podcast on Patreon? Uh, if you go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, you have the opportunity there to give us a small monthly micropayment for a show that you're getting free anyway. Why on earth would anyone do that? Well, you could just do it out the kindness of your heart to show us support. But in addition, we are trying to provide some extra content. Matt is doing some predictive blogs to 
show you tactically what to look for in the race going forward. Also, you will get the waffle casts sent to you in an email so you can click a hidden YouTube link and find out what we get up to post-show. I am reluctant to sell that as a feature because on the whole it's rubbish. However, it is a bit of extra content and we are looking for a way for that to be available as an audio download as well. The people who are watching the live stream now can see that we've bought this new brand new TV studio. Uh, Okay, no, fair enough, you've caught us. This is a green screen, but we are trying to do things that involve money, uh, and the Patreon support is helping us do that. We have decent equipment only because the Patreon supporters support us. We've never missed shows only because the Patreon supporters support us. So, patreon.com forward slash missed apex. If you'd buy us a pint in real life, uh, I mean, hunt me down and buy me a pint by all means. Um, However, if you'd like show support in another way, uh, Patreon is a good option for that. So, Chris, where can people find you online and catch up with all your motorsport writing? Uh, Well, you can find me on Twitter at cstevens underscore journo. And while we were talking about Instagram earlier, um, I I may as well plug my Instagram as well. It's actually a personal account and I don't look so professional um, on it. Not that there's anything incriminating on there, but um, yeah, you can follow that if you you want to. That's not true. Quite quite a lot of incriminating stuff on there. That's fine. You you know, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've, yeah i've done more incriminating things on this podcast than anything else so uh, Fair uh, enough. yeah and uh occasionally you can find my stuff on autosport and motorsport.com as well awesome chris talk to me about drivers we have mentioned robert kubitzer and he has been linked to another seat yeah i i don't necessarily buy this one uh and it, it's not necessarily one that i can really get on board with but apparently the, the rumor is that Kubica will go to Toro Russell and replace Brendan Hartley, um, which I don't necessarily, yeah, I don't subscribe to um, this one. I mean, I know that Hartley's been struggling a little bit compared to um, Pierre Gasly. Um, although I think if you actually, you know, look at his ability, he's a very capable driver and um, has, yeah, made a couple of um, errors along the way, but, you know, it's not a, he hasn't even done a full F1 season uh, yet. The idea that Kubica could replace him and do a p- better job, I don't, I don't necessarily ring into that one. Yeah, Hartley is a bit of a tough case. I, I used to have a uh, soccer coach when I was in high school, which is, of course, you know, you, you, you foolishly call it football on the wrong side of the pond there. But uh, he was Dutch. And he would always say, I'd rather have a lucky player than a good player. And I feel like Hartley has kind of inherited the Heidfeld reward, uh, the Heidfeld award for outcome slash likability ratio. That is that he seems to be a very likable person, but his outcomes in races have been, well, let's just say terrible and not always his fault and almost never his fault. And he's gotten blamed for some stuff that I don't really think was his fault. But TV said it was his fault, so everybody believes it was his fault. But at the end of the day, if you just look at the points, you're just going, ouch, ouch, ouch. And I think it's made worse because of the two drivers. I think he may actually be better at giving the team feedback and setting up the car. And this is the fundamental problem they're having right now. They're leaving a lot of points on the board to have him in the team. And we're not seeing any sign that he's going to start putting those points on the board. And so the question is, how long will that go on? But there is a kind of mentality within sports fans that we think that the luck always evens out. So when we have a Heidfeld, 
Heinfeld. You actually pronounced it wrong, but don't worry, don't feel embarrassed. It's a very difficult name to pronounce. Uh, when these results do kind of start piling up against the driver, people will naturally assume, no, it's it can't be that it's just bad luck at this point. It, it has to be something they're doing, even in something as blatantly obvious as him accidentally getting in the way of Leclerc's brake failure. Like you say, you end up just looking at the points table and you go, that can't be all luck. That that It should even out. And he's only had yeah. one season. So, you know, statistically, we would need to give him more time to see if, if it is just bad luck or if he's having some hand in his own fate. Yeah, I would actually agree with that wholeheartedly. But the patience of people like Helmut Marco is, well, I don't know. Could we use the word limited and get away with it? I suppose so. And this is why it's not just Kubica. We've heard Fairline. Who else have we heard? Um, we've heard Sean Galeo mentioned. There's any number of pretenders to the throne. But keep in mind that anyone who's going to step in short term will need a valid super license. And that rules out a couple of the F2 newbies that are on the Toro Rosso radar right now. They need to be patient with Brendan, because let's be honest here, Brendan has done nothing like as bad as Daniel Kvyat was supposedly supposed to have done to lose his own seat in Red Bull. But hey, who's judging? You know, Daniel Kvyat's career is in absolute tatters right now. A lot of people have forgotten the fact that he is now a test driver with Ferrari. So a lot of the development work that's being done at Ferrari is actually being conducted by Daniel Kvyat. Uh, a lot of people have forgotten that. And, you know, he's not doing anything wrong with Ferrari. In fact, he's doing them an awful lot of good right now because he's got the youth, the mentality, the uh, composure. He's probably going to be racing at Le Mans for them next year, uh, from what I hear. So, you know, this is a problem that Red Bull have basically backed themselves into because they needed to hire Brendan Hartley because he was a safe pair of hands. None of the Red Bull juniors, not one of them, is ready to step up into that Formula One seat alongside Pierre Gasly. Not one of them. So they've backed themselves into a major corner. And I don't think you can replace him with anybody who's good enough to fit into that mold, except perhaps Robert Kubica. But even those rumors, I think, are still a massive rumor mill because I think, I'm think i not entirely sure Kubica is actually going to enjoy life at Toro Rosso. I know it's the kind of, well, he's desperate to get into any race seat possible, but I don't really think it's going to happen. I just don't see it happening They at want all. a Japanese driver, though, but as I understand it, to get their super license, they need to finish a lot higher than they currently are. Yeah, I mean, they have a couple of drivers in GP2 at the moment, but let's be honest, I don't really think either of them is ready. Yeah, well, I said it earlier in the program. Take a look at Kvyat's last stint at Red Bull from the start of the season till now, when they ditched him. And compare that to Verstappen and tell me who did a better job. I be, I, I just like, you know, it, it's astonishing to me how differently these drivers are being treated when, you know, you begin to see the politics behind it when you take a more careful look, I would say. The, the, uh, treat, the, the treatment the of Daniel Kvyat to me screams yeah. of he was in the wrong nightclub with the wrong person's daughter. That is obviously wild speculation. <laughs> but when you looked at how he was being treated compared to what was going on on track, you think, no, 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 no. He he has seriously upset someone. Uh, Sparkles, you were trying to get in there, buddy. Yeah, I don't think Red Bull actually have um, a, a junior driver in F2 at the moment. The top one they have is Dan Tictum in Euro F3. Um, I know they've got Sean Goliath in F2, but he is um, he's not actually a Rebel Junior. He may be testing the Toro Rosso every now and then, but um, I, he's not actually a Red Bull 
um, driver. And it's, you know, it's basically this whole lack of juniors at the moment, this, this stock gap they've got at the moment that's put Hartley in this position in the first place. All right, then. Well, speaking of Ferrari being horrible cheats, boo, boo, Ferrari. I'm completely neutral on this podcast. We're completely neutral. But Matt, tell us how Ferrari are definitely massive cheats and always have been. Emails to matttrumpets at gmail.com. Well, you know, you, you know how it is with parts. You know how it is with flax. Well, it turns out that a certain, a certain team, I believe based out of Milton Keynes, so don't quote me on that, has uh, been taking a careful look at the DRS slot. Red Bull. In Ferrari, at Ferrari, while it's open, and they have concluded that it is opening more than the regulated 6.5 centimeters and, and that is supposed to be permitted. And a complaint has, has not been filed. Charlie Whiting may indeed be looking at it. But what's more curious about it to me, if we compare it to, say, you know, the start of last season, is... How many complaints have we had about Ferrari and Ferrari equipment to the FIA since the start of the season? And the answer is pretty much all of them have been based specifically and aimed specifically at Ferrari. And last year, they were almost all aimed at Mercedes. And what does this really tell us about who the top teams think the real threat is this season? I got to say, Ferrari has to be right now the team that everyone is most afraid of because that's who they're complaining about most often. Well, I'm skeptical as to how they found out that this gap was bigger or smaller because the only time DRS is activated is in motion while the car's going. Are Red Bull sure that the Ferrari simply wasn't closer than they were expecting it to be? I mean, it's pretty quick this year. It could have closed on them very quickly and they've gone, oh no, that gap is big uh, when in fact it was just closer. (laughs) <laughs> they made a mistake of taking the picture out of the wing mirror. Yeah, well, you never know. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It, it is interesting. Yes, um, Mercedes were constantly being accused of everything. I mean, there was wild rumors that they were burning oil for fuel or that they were using some strange uh, adaptation on active suspension that nobody could understand. Uh, so, but, but look, maybe it is just the case that Ferrari have taken a big step up and they are now throwing the kitchen sink at everything and they've just got a no-holds-barred attitude to the regulations. That they're like, we are going to Red Bull this. We are basically going to put stuff in our car that makes it faster until somebody notices. And that is a perfectly valid tactic in the world of F1. Uh, it, 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 it is a long and somewhat dishonorable tradition within the sport. Yes. Jake. I have to say I'm quite impressed with uh, Kadanath Ayer's point. He says, I can only say that James Allison is ratting the team he is competing against. When he was in Ferrari, it was all complaints against Mercedes. Now he switched teams. The finger is pointed at Ferrari. This is an age-old story. You've only got to look at 2007 Spygate. It's just lunacy. This just keeps happening every sort of five years or so. And it just seems as though everybody's taking a cheap shot at the moment. The fact of the matter is, and I hate to have a cynical hat on, (laughs) um, there's so much cheating that happens in Formula One. It's absolutely untrue. I wish I could say it wasn't the case. But there has been so much cheating within Formula One in the last 20 years. A lot of it has gone completely unnoticed. I already know of a few teams that were blatantly breaking rules that people, if I, if I dropped them on this bombshell, not only would I never work in Formula One again, but you would all stare at me and go, surely not. They are not cheats. And it, it's it's just one of those things that happens. It's just quite funny that we're in a period where 
there are only three teams who can win races and they're just taking pot shots at each other to see if anything sticks, basically. Okay, look, I don't want to show myself to be a bad parent in any way here, but when my kids have really, truly tested my patience in the past, I have been known to simply pick them up and put them outside. Now, I'm not a monster. It's a patio door, so I could see them. I could see they were safe, but it, it sent a clear message. I would walk over to them and I would say, look, you know, you've been warned. I've told you several times that the things you were doing were not acceptable. And instead of losing my temper, I've just picked them up and I've walked outside. I've opened the door and then I've just placed them outside. I've then closed the door. So they are left in no doubt that what they're doing is unacceptable. In I'm Formula One, I'm feeling it. I've it, been there. Exactly. Been but there. in Formula One, Matt, when they break the rules, we just say, OK, don't do that anymore. But that's not a punishment. Saying don't do that anymore isn't a punishment. So I put to you that the punishment system that the FIA put into practice, which is simply saying don't do that anymore now that we've seen it, encourages people to hide engineering uh, inventions that are outside of the rules. Because when they are found out, the consequences are very low. Okay, so let's take two examples. And and you you tell me which team you would put outside your patio door. Example one, my front wing purposefully is built to to uh, stall at high speeds, and I have a special tool to 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 turn it on and off so the FIA can't catch it. And that tool is disguised. Uh, the tool also works to adjust the wing angle. Okay, so it's a good question. Would I put them outside or would I not? That completely right. depends on. Am I trying to encourage that kind of innovation and it's a cat and mouse game? Is that part of the sport, hunter and and prey? Or do I go, how dare you? I can't believe I spent so long on those regulations and and you blatantly have flouted them. To be clear, that's completely not allowed under the regulations, but they did it anyway and got away with it probably for at least two seasons. Would you put them outside the patio door? Well, personally, for me, if I was running the sport and and you had people that had blatantly in the spirit of the rules, and that is something that is a gray area, had had done something. So in this case, it's movable arrow, isn't it? So they've basically put in movable arrow. Uh, movable arrow is not allowed and you've gotten away with having movable area for a long period of time. So for me, yes, I would put them outside the patio door, financial fine or a championship points fine. But the FIA don't do that which clearly sends the message fool us if you can yeah i would agree the, the other one was the, the my favorite was there was a technical directive about not letting fuel build up on the other side of was it fuel rail whatever basically they use flexible tubing so they can yes. have extra little bits of fuel to use this was 2014 that- 2014 early in the hybrid era wasn't it and it was red bull who were basically letting the fuel build up on the other side of the fuel flow meter so right. when the engine needed it i.e when you put your foot on the pedal there was more on the other side of the fuel flow meter because it wasn't just a pipe's worth of fuel it was an expanded pipe's worth of fuel now yeah like the genius of that and the engineering skill of that is incredible. And what was their punishment for that, Matt? They lost only that race result, if I recall. Well, no, that was the tampered with fuel flow meter, which is a slightly different ah, thing. Right. Okay. Uh, this, this was multiple teams. Nobody lost anything, but Whiting basically said, as wow. one often says to one's kids, cut it out. No more of that. <laughs> Not allowed. You know, and, yeah. and this is, I think the subjectively speaking, the problem is the vast majority of what we think of as cheating is really just, well, 
you know, technically we built it to specifications, but if we build it exactly this way, then my DRS gap is now seven centimeters instead of six and a half. And that gives me an advantage. Oh yeah, we were so talking about DRS. Cheating? <laughs> oh, not really, not really cheating. And so they'll say, cut it out and that'll be the end of it. Now, only rarely is it just flat out. We simply ignored the rule and done what we wanted to anyway, because we knew you wouldn't catch us. See, I was about to just make the point of... How how many of the things you've just said aren't actually breaking the rules, but finding loopholes in the rules, which is what every F1 team tries to do and say, well, you haven't quite, you know, clarified on this bit. So we'll do what what we want to do. And until you say we can't do it, we're going to keep doing it, which is what, you know, it's basically how the blown diffuser came about. Uh, OK, so no, bl- blown diffuser, a loophole, movable front wing that bends. Uh, that passes the actual scrutineering bit, but then does what you want it to in the race. Cheating. Is is that fair? No. No, no it's, it's not. Tests. It's not breaking the rules. It's an interpretation of the rules. This is always going to happen in a technological regulations arms race, basically. If you give them a rule book and you give them an open playing field to design your own car technical directors are always going to try and find a little bit of adaptation it's never going to change this is what happens in formula one that you don't get with any of the other forms of motor racing not even in the world endurance championship do they take it to this level it's not like when it's not like vw you know where when they had the test they had it in one mode and then when they actually went and did their own thing they switched it into another mode oh hang on a minute though the red bull wing Matt, am I am I wrong here? The Red Bull Wing was designed to pass scrutineering, but then do a different thing in the race. So it's kind yeah, of like absolutely. that. Yeah, absolutely. They use the, the same wrench that that they use to adjust the angle. They could use to basically turn it on or off. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I yeah. would. I yeah, would that definitely. Was flat out, that, that was a flat out cheat. There's no thing. Other things that, that are, one. Yeah. Clever, clever, clever things. The F duct. Remember the McLaren F duct. Where it wasn't movable because you just used your wrist to close the hole and then you stalled your rear wing. That was brilliant. Mass dampers. I don't know. They call the movable aerodynamic devices. I thought they were brilliant. Double diffusers. Again, a thing. But I'll tell you what's really genius about this whole rules thing is basically there's no way the FIA can keep up with all of this. So the system they've instituted is getting the teams to rat each other out. And it provides so much lovely drama for us to talk about. I I really think that's the cleverest part of the whole deal. Excellent. What a fantastic chat, guys. And I'm really looking forward to the Montreal Grand Prix that is going to be, I think, a bit of an antidote to the Monaco Grand Prix. Whatever you thought of the Monaco Grand Prix, I think we can pretty much guarantee that the Canadian Grand Prix is going to provide us more of a spectacle and more in the way of racing. Apologies that it looks like we're not going to get you a race review very, very late on the Sunday night. On this occasion, I think you'll have to wait till Monday, 9 p.m. to join us for a live stream. And we will have that audio podcast out for you on Tuesday by the time you start your commute to work. So join us then for the Canadian Grand Prix. We're going to be joined by F1 Statman Sean Kelly. Should be very, very exciting. And hopefully that will give Chris Stevens a chance to get back from his European commitments as well to join us on the panel. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. And I forgot comment of the week. Oh, no. Matt, why don't you give me that disapproving look earlier? Ah, now the title music's going. There's nothing I can do now. I can't even fake it. I can't even fake it because I've been talking over the title music. So let's go to Matt and uh, discover who has won this week's comment on.
Sorry, Matt, I feel really bad. I know you sit there and fastidiously track the chat room as it flies past at max speed. Uh, has anybody said anything poignant or amusing over the course of our hour broadcast? Yeah, actually, I, I really, really thought I sort of had it nailed down. And then there was a late flurry of comments, although, um, uh, you know. Reward boy, the where, early where birds. Just reward the early birds is fine. Where shall I start? Hannah Hassel at Jake Stanton. The hat is indeed paramount. It's also awful, but that's not the point. It is really bad. You look like a lobster with a brown shell stuck on its head. You need hey, to wear... I'm just going through my Goodfellas phase. Just let me do it no. gracefully. You need to wear sunscreen and get a haircut and not wear hats anymore. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Phil C., anyone seen the rest of the Mighty Mighty Boston's, or is it Jake? <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. That's anywhere near as good as that retort. Evangelo, so Monaco GP satisfaction is geolocked then. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. Yeah, now, so you, you have now, to be in the very specific principality to enjoy that race. Yes. Now, this next one was really pretty much my pick for a very long time. Neuropean hires are the Eurovision of F1. Eurovision's really good. What's he on about? Yeah. I Some voted for Hungary. Like, yeah, I said it. Oh, this is an on and off kind of thing. Uh, I voted moving for Cyprus, on. by the way. Josh Covey would, says, can we just get our Ferrari team orders rant before it inevitably happens next weekend? And I think this may have to be the winner. In European, De Beer stepped down for Williams in order to fix Chris Sparkle's shelf. Oh, my God. No one can do that. It's mission impossible. Therefore, you are the winner of this week's comment of the week. I can't believe everyone has fallen for this over the last two years. The old, oh, I've forgotten comment of the week skit. It was always meant to be a post-show thing. Always. And I will hear no more debate on the subject. No more. I've turned their faders down. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money. 